God bless you. Boy, these... Now, you, are you guys from Midtown or Harvest? I can't... Har, that's what I thought. I know I've heard you. I've been to both churches, but uh, I thought you were from Harvest. But these folks, they just do such a wonderful job. What a blessing. I needed that worship for, from the video to now to recover. What a dirty trick to put that video of Mark Trotter up here before I'm coming up here. I'm just like wasted thing. And I mean that. He fills a room. Just on a video, he fills a room, doesn't he? Doesn't he? In fact, I was thinking maybe we have a couple of Mark Trotter videos and I'd go back and sit down. We could just watch Mark Trotter videos tonight. Wouldn't that be good, huh? Yeah, thanks for making me feel good. I appreciate that. <laughs> just, kidding. just kidding you. I'd like to do that. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful to come together this evening. We love you and appreciate you. So many good things have happened right here and so many good things have happened in the past. People studying, preparing, working, ministering, praying, and bringing this whole thing together this evening, all the different things that we've, we've experienced, the worship, the uh, celebrations, congratulations, the prayers, the people who have uh, succeeded in, in ways that uh, are remarkable and admirable. Thank you for being part of this and having the privilege to come all the way from New York State and be here with these dear people. We pray that you bless these uh, moments we have in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, now I have been in the ministry for almost 49 years, so uh, I, I understand time constraints. And Mark was talking about the value of time. I have five children, 14 grandchildren, and I know this, that there's a time with all these workers right now and in, in uh, the children's classes and whatnot, it's sometime around, I'm thinking around 8.15, the adults are gonna lose it and the kids are gonna start winning. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're gonna begin to, to overwhelm the adults and the adu we may never see some of those people ever again after that. So with all the good things that have happened here, I just want you to know, I know that I'm here to be a piece in everything that's going on. It, this isn't about me and it's not about me teaching. Remember, last night I told you, let me give you this again, fbbc.info slash sermon library slash acr21. I have 100 pages of notes from my three sermons that I'm preaching are on that website, and it says Midtown Baptist Temple, and each one of the sermons has a download for you. Genesis last night, tonight we're gonna look at Romans, tomorrow night we're gonna look at the book of Revelation. Remember, there's a theme to what I'm saying, and the theme is this. The Bible is a Jewish book. Now you might even have missed that in a, a little bit last night as we went into the book of Genesis, but the book of Genesis was written by Moses, and of course, his authorship is, has been and is under attack right now. And those first 11 chapters are the target of the devil. Yea, hath God said. Isn't that right in, right in Genesis chapter number three? I mean, we ought to figure this thing out. Yea, hath God said. And before we get through the 11th chapter of the book of Genesis, 
the target of all of the compromisers today, the man, uh, the man named Abram, or Abraham's name comes up. He's the progenitor of the Israelites. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes, etc., etc. Jacob, who became, obviously, his name was changed by the Lord to Israel. I said the Bible is a Jewish book. So that book of Genesis really chronicles the beginning of the Israelites. You know that. Most of you know that. Now, if you're really interested in what I'm trying to get across here in these three nights, you will take the time to go to that website and look at the material. I've spent a lot of time writing that stuff in the background material for what I'm preaching here each evening is there in plain black and white. So it's there for you. You don't have to ask me questions, catch me in the lobby, write me a letter or a phone, bring me a phone call or anything like that. I've given you all the information logically, orderly, and it's been proofread and taught several times so that you should be able to take that and get the information and the reasons why I'm saying what I'm saying. So if you're really serious about this, and I might add, if you're really a serious student about the Bible. I've heard LFBI 55 times here tonight. Did anybody pick that up? That we're talking about Living Faith Bible Institute? We've said that over and over. Guess what? I highly recommend it. One of my main purposes is to inspire, well, let, let me back up just a step to make you feel like you still don't know everything about the Bible. That's what I'm trying to do, so that maybe you'll go, hey, maybe I ought to go to LFBI, and I can pick up a little, you know, those two or three things that I'm a little rusty in, I could pick them up there, and maybe next year I could graduate from LFBI, or in two years, or four years, or maybe some of you 20 years, or whatever it would take you to get through that. So, but that's my goal. My goal is to inspire you to dig into the Word of God. I've given you 100 pages of my notes just so you can at least get your brain around what I'm trying to say here tonight and last night and tomorrow night. The Bible is a Jewish book and it is being attacked. We've looked at Genesis. Tonight we're going to look at the book of Romans, if you would. So open the the, your Bible to the book of Romans in chapter number 9. Here is our second controversial passage in the Scripture. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, the Bible says. That is not a suggestion. That is a commandment. Why wouldn't you go to Living Faith Bible Institute. Give me a good reason. Maybe you don't live close enough. What, there's 51 churches or something like that involved? I suggest they all don't drive to Midtown to take a class. They're probably taking them over the internet. What a great idea. You know, using the internet for the glory of God. Maybe it's through videos. But most of your stuff, I think, is, is done live, and you're right in the classroom with the, with the teacher, even if you're living hundreds of miles away. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. That's a commandment in the Bible. 
it's just as authoritative and it's just as powerful as the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus. You're supposed to be able to represent Christ as an ambassador of the gospel before your world. That is the immediate surroundings that you have, the people that you impact and influence in life. And if you can't do that, you need to strive to be able to do that. That's what I'm trying to do here. One of the several things that, that I have as goals in this, and I'm sure your pastors do, is to get you to the place where you understand you need to be a student of the Word of God. And just reading a daily bread or now I lay me down to sleep, as we heard, Marks, that just doesn't cut it today. It just doesn't cut it. You know, as a young child, I grew up in a culture, and it's been many years now, the culture generally had a good understanding of religion, even a little bit of Bible. They kicked the Bible out of public schools and prayers when I was a teenager. But I grew up with people praying in public schools and the Bible was in public schools. That isn't anymore. Our kids today, only 22% of the population attends church and our kids are going into public schools that don't teach the Bible, don't encourage prayer. In fact, quite the opposite oftentimes. It's being mocked and made fun of. You're living in a different culture and growing up in a different culture than I did. You have to be smarter than my generation. Did you hear what I said? You have to be smarter than my generation. You can't just sit back and suck it all up and, you know, all the good things around us and go over and get me an $8 drink at Starbucks this morning for breakfast and, you know, drive around in my Lexus or my Tesla or, you know, sit around with all my gizmos and gadgets, electronic stuff, and just hope that when I graduate from college, somebody's going to knock on my door and say, hey, we have a $125,000 a year job for you. Would you like it? You don't have to do anything with six weeks vacation. That ain't gonna happen. That's not the way it is. You're living in a time now, a different time. It's easy to get caught up. Go get yourself another stimulus check. If you got a job, get rid of it. They'll pay you 700 bucks a week not to work. If you're a farmer, they'll pay you $800 an acre not to grow corn. What kind of insanity is going on in this world? Listen, I have an acre and a half where I live. I don't grow corn. Send me a check. I promise I won't grow corn. In fact, I won't grow anything there. All right. I think I have two minutes left here, so. <laughs> All right, you ready? here we go. We're going to do, I said the Bible is a Jewish book. We talked about the Old Testament, gave you 26 places, and there's many more in the Old Testament, that say Moses is the author of the law. It's kind of a Jewish book. How about the New Testament, is it? Let's run through some quick overheads right now. Is the New Testament Jewish? There's hardly a book more Jewish. Next. Let's run through them. I want to, I can look right here. It's written by, no, that's too quick. Anyway, a book written, <laughs> I can't, you're going to have to listen fast as I talk fast, all right? 
It's a book written by Jews. I could comment on every one of these. The next one, just roll through them. Paul, we know, un, indisputably a Jew. Next, we've got, it's written for Jews. I can give you several reasons. Specific locations, Bethlehem, Jerusalem, Nazareth. These are all Jewish locations. And Next, if you give it to me, it's, it's filled with fulfilled prophecy, the New Testament. Next, if you would, it's, a, it's in the language of the Jews. It, it's Hebrew and, and uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And next, a book about Jews, dealing with Jews. Next. Keep going, a book about Jewish history, great. It's not anti-Semitic, it isn't, it's not against Jews. The Jews, the elders had problems with Jesus. They get in tiffs all the time, but it wasn't anti-Semitic. It was the elders of the Jews that had a problem with Christ. The common people didn't have a problem with him. Next, and it is a book worth reading. Now, every one of those, I have some comments in my notes. By the way, all you have to do is, let's see, fbbc.info slash sermon library slash acr21. If you want to get all the information on that, it's available right there, right now. No, don't turn there yet. Listen to me just for a few more minutes, and then you can go there later on tonight. So that's really the first half of my sermon. Not really, but um, we're going to work on it. Has the nation of Israel, has it been rejected by God? Now, this is what the issue is. This is where the controversy is. I am a premillennial dispensationalist. Now, that identifies me as what I believe about uh, prophecy and what I believe about interpreting the Bible. When people give labels like that, they don't necessarily confine themselves, but those two things are pretty powerful statements, and people, will, people who are theologically inclined and understand something about it will understand where I'm coming from when I read the Bible and when I teach and talk about the Bible. There are those today, and a lot of people today, I'm going to use the term reformed theology if I can, or replacement theology, or determinism, or Augustinianism, or Calvinism. All of those terms, although they're not synonymous, they all kind of are together. And that group of people, basically what they do is they say that God has chosen people to be saved, and God has chosen people to be lost. It really isn't your choice. It's his choice, you just think you're getting a choice. I could ask you tonight, how many of you believe that you made a decision, that you made a free will decision to be saved or not? It would be interesting, but if there's somebody who takes the opposite side of, of this issue, I understand the opposite side. In fact, I have some good friends that take the opposite side, and I can discuss this with them, and they're saved. They're good Christian people, but they believe that people are chosen by God to be saved rather than they choose God to be saved. Now, I come from a Roman Catholic background. I was very much oriented to a work salvation, very much so that free will was a, very, was a great part of, of my religious background. But that's not necessarily true of all of the Reformed 
churches. One of, uh, one of the things about Reformed churches, and one of the leaders of the Reformation was a na man named John Calvin. He got much of his information and his beliefs from a man named Augustine, or Augustine, however, fifth century individual who is known as the father of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, Calvin and people like Luther and Knox and Swingley, all of these guys were reformers, they came out of the Roman Catholic Church. They believed that there th were things that were wrong with the Roman Catholic Church, but they didn't leave everything behind. They took a few things with them. And those that had been influenced by Augustine, Martin Luther was, John Calvin was, and others, they kind of took the Augustinian point of view on salvation, where God chose people to be saved. People didn't choose God to be saved. Surely there's somebody in this room with this many people that take that position. I understand that position, but my position and I believe the position of this fellowship is different. This is a big controversy. Now, for some of you, you're sitting there and saying, this is, where are we going with this? This is way over my head. But you gotta start somewhere, people. This is a Jewish book, the Bible, and we have to answer the question, is God done with Israel? Those that believe that we are chosen by God to be saved, they believe that God has abandoned or forsaken or rejected Israel, and now the church is the new Israel. You're going to find that in the book of Romans, and specifically chapter number 9 is the chapter that they go to to try to prove this. Now, let's hit some more slides here, okay? So I can get through this a little bit more quickly. Will you... Take the time to go to the website and read some of this. It's all there, and you can read it. If, if you took 30 minutes, you could read through this information. You could do it, and you'd get a good handle on it. And the thing is, you've got it written before you, so you can go back, or you could talk with your pastor, you could talk with one of your friends, and you could try to sort through it yourselves. It is a clear teaching of Scripture that with the national rejection of Jesus, God moved from the nation of Israel to another nation, the church, so that, uh, the church so that salvation would come to the Gentiles. However, current rejection doesn't mean rejection forever. See, those that take that position that Israel is no longer valid in God's plans, they get rid of it, they get rid of the nation of Israel, and what they do, let's go back to the slide, the one previous, what, the, what they, uh, uh, we understand our reply to them would be, it's a clear teaching, yes, there's a national rejection of Jesus by the Jews. We know They crucified him, by the way, in case you missed that. God moved from the nation of Israel to another nation. That term is used, another group of people in the church, so that salvation would come to the Gentiles. And that's true. Romans says that but it was to pro provoke Israel. It wasn't to abandon them altogether. And the Bible never says, in fact, says quite the opposite in these chapters, that God set aside temporarily the nation of Israel, and the gospel then went to the whole world, and the Jews became jealous because they were receiving the truth of God's word and salvation, and they became, and this was God's intent, 
they became jealous about that, and ultimately that jealousy would lead them to come back to him. And all of the Old Testament promises that were made to them would ultimately be fulfilled yet future. That's where we're going tomorrow night when we talk about the nation of Israel in the book of Revelation. In fact, if you don't understand what I'm talking about right now, if you take the opposite position, you have, haven't got the foggiest idea what the book of Revelation is all about. John Kelvin wrote a lot of stuff. Some of it's pretty good stuff, real good stuff. He never wrote a commentary on the book of Revelation. You know why? Because it just didn't make, it make sense because of where he was coming from. He believed that the nation of Israel had been set aside and was gone. All right, let's go now. Let's go to the next slide. We're picking up. I don't agree. It's called replacement theology for the following reasons. Now, this is why I don't agree. It goes against the New Testament teaching concerning the issue. Next. Paul lays it out quite clearly in Romans 9 through 11. He explains their previous position as God's chosen people, their current position as hardened in part. Israel is hardened, and they are today, are they not? But they have not been abandoned or forsaken by God. They're hardened. And as branches that were broken off, he certainly doesn't leave it there in ultimate, for, forever. He's going to bring them back. Let's read a few verses here in chapter, let's go to chapter number 11, if we might. You're going to have to go back and read through some of this. I don't want the, the child workers to get killed tonight. Okay, so bear with me. Look at Romans chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. Paul is commenting on this. 9, 10, and 11 are all about this. And he says, Have they, speaking of Israel, stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, Israel, they rejected Christ, salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. I just said that. That's what Romans chapter 11 says. So their current position of having stumbled isn't a fall that they won't recover from. In this current age, their transgression or rejection of Christ has led to grace for the whole world. But Paul anticipates a time when greater riches shall flow to Israel's fullness. That's where we go in the book of Revelation tomorrow night. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 11, verse 23, if you have your Bible open, look it, in verse 23, and they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. In fact, God isn't done with the nation of Israel. He's going to bring them back in. Now, here's the, the, mis the mistake, the big mistake, I believe the Augustinian camp makes. They look at chapter number 9, and they think that chapter number 9 is that election is about individual salvation. They think that God elects or chooses people to get saved, and as they interpret it that way, they come to the conclusion that God's done with Israel. The fact of the matter is, is election is about the nation of Israel, not individual people. God chose the nation of Israel for specific purposes all through history, and he's made promises to them that are irrevocable. Some were conditional, 
Many of them were not. They will be ultimately fulfilled. This is a huge controversy amongst Christians. If you've never heard this before, hang on, you'll hear it. Somebody will approach you and ask you, are you one of the elect? Have you been chosen by God to be saved? You go, well, gee, I trusted Christ. No, no, when did God choose you? That question is going to be asked to you. Now, what are the consequences of that? The consequences of that can be that a person become lazy. Let's say I got a group of 10 people here, and I don't know who's elect and who's not elect. God chose, you know, five out of 10, but, you know, God knows who they are, so why do I have to tell anybody? Because they've already been chosen. So why should I tell anybody about salvation? It's, well, I should tell people about salvation because God says so, but there's it's really no consequences to it. Nothing's going to happen to these people. I mean, if they're elect, they're going to go to heaven. If they're not elect, they're going to go to hell. Double predestination. See, because if God has elected people to heaven, that means the people that he didn't choose to go to heaven, by default, you know where they go? Not purgatory. They go to hell. It's double predestination. And that's what you have to believe if you take the idea or the word elect in Romans chapter 9 and apply it to individuals rather than applying it to the nation of Israel. So my point in this message is God is not done with the nation of Israel. He isn't done. So we've got the book of Genesis. The devil would love to destroy that, so you will not read your Bible. But if you can get back through the Old Testament, you get into the, Old, the New Testament, you come across the Gospel of Matthew, and you read a couple of those par parables, and you read Romans chapter 9, you can say, you know, God's done away with the nation of Israel. He's abandoned them. And now the church gets all of the promises that were given to the Old Testament Jew. The Jew no longer is in God's purview whatsoever. That is not true. And that's what Romans chapter number 11 is teaching us. Verse 23, and they also, 11:23, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them, that is Israel, back again, again into the vine that he's using as an analogy. Now, verse 25 of this chapter, the next two verses later says this, for I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part is happened to Israel. Blindness in part. Until God's not done with them. Until the fullness of the Gentiles become, become in. And so all Israel, that is true Israel, that is believing Israel, and that goes back to Romans chapter 9, verse 6. You'll see it in my notes. And so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written. There shall come out of Sion the deliverer, Christ, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. So the key is the difference between his God elected a nation or his God elected individuals to salvation. And that's the issue. Did God choose you to be saved? Or did you choose Christ because of what he, he did for you on the cross, and therefore you got saved? My experience, which is meaningless, I remember when I debated over this thing. In, in my mind, I made a choice. I thought, 
Or was God forcing me to be saved? Did God force you to get saved? Is there anybody here tonight that you're saved? You said, you know, I really didn't like this whole deal about the Bible and all that, but here I am, I'm saved. Anybody like that here? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. As the word of God came to me, my faith grew to the point of being the mustard seed faith that opened my eyes and I came to the place and I said, I'm a filthy, rotten sinner and I cannot save myself by my works. And I go to church not only every Sunday, but I go sometimes three or four times a week. And it's not good enough. God, Christ died on the cross and paid for my sins. And it's because of what he did for me I can be saved. I choose him. Lord, I'm calling upon your name. Be merciful to George Grace, a sinner. In Jesus' name I pray. August the 29th, 1972, I made a choice to trust Christ as my Savior, and it was that day that I was born again and my life began to change. I entered into a transformation. I had no idea where it was going to go. But I had a choice in that. God didn't make me. Did God help me? Yes. Did he make me? How did he help me? My last name. <laughs> Grace. Grace. For 25 years, that was my name, and I did not know what it meant. In August of 72, I said, Grace. I've heard that name before. <laughs> grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the key is, did you trust Christ as Savior, or did God choose you to be saved? Is God going to fulfill all of his promises to the nation of Israel that are all through the Old Testament and then confirmed in places in the New Testament? Is he going to do that? Or has he rejected them and now the church gets it all? Well, what about Israel in the future? Don't worry about it. God's done with them. I don't believe it. And we're going to talk about it tomorrow night. God's not done with the nation of Israel. And I don't say this to be mean, folks. Their worst days are yet ahead of them. Father, we come to you tonight and thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the privilege and for the opportunity to come here and share these thoughts with these dear people. So many good things have happened here tonight. Tomorrow night, I'll be able to maybe back up a little bit and give them a couple other thoughts on this in the last message that we'll be uh, preaching here this week. Thank you for the blessed and precious book. Thank you for the blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray your blessings on this camp as we continue, that we truly will want to be students of the Word of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Now, if we have an invitation right now, and somebody's coming up here, either they're here to throw me out because they didn't like my theology, or they're going to sing, one or the other. But they're probably going to sing. Now we're going to have an invitation. Now some of you need to get up out of your seat and say, I'm going to stop being a lazy slug and I'm going to get an LFBI. I'm going to start learning the Bible. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to stop being stupid. 
There's no cure for stupidity. You understand that? I'm going to stop being stupid. You have to do something about it. It isn't going to happen accidentally. Get moving as a Christian, learning the Word of God, grow in His grace. And don't forget what you heard this morning. Stay humble and stay on your knees and pray. Pride could be your enemy. You come tonight. Let's stand together as we worship together as we close our service.